So just to bring everybody back together on this, we've been for these last few weeks working through this speech that, that Stephen has said before this religious council, the, the Sanhedrin it was called. They called him there because there were people accusing him of blaspheming God, basically defaming God, of defaming the temple and the law. And so they bring this Stephen before them. And they start to ask him questions. They said, is any of this true? And we hear about it today. We hear finally the pinnacle of Stephen's speech when he says, you stiff-necked people. You people are circumcised, you're uncircumcised in your heart and your ears. You're not getting it. And so while they brought Stephen before them to question him, he's turned the tables on them and now Stephen is on the offensive. He's the one questioning them. And we see God at work here. You see, he's questioning them because the people of these people, this, these religious leaders and the people of Israel, they have this long record of rejecting the people that God sends to them. Time and time again, they reject them. They persecute them or they kill them. We're getting here to Stephen's main point of his whole speech is leading up to this moment right here where he's convicting, he's indicting these religious leaders. See, he reminds them about Moses, or excuse me, about Joseph. Joseph was this chosen son of Jacob. God had given him dreams that one day he would be Lord even over his brothers. And when his brothers heard this, they sold him into slavery. That was after they tried to kill him. They sold him into slavery into Egypt. And there he rose to power. He was the second most powerful man in Egypt. And God used Joseph, continued to growing him, continuing to bless him even in Egypt, so that he could save his people. He could provide a way forward for them when famine came. So God was continuing to work for Jacob and ultimately the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, they did. They bowed down to him. They asked for his help. Joseph was their leader. And the same thing happened with Moses. After the people had been in Egypt for a while, they were almost over 400 years, that they, the pharaohs had forgotten about Joseph and about the people of Israel and, and they began to persecute them. Because there were so many of them, what they tried to do is they had, if you were an Israelite person, you had to abandon your child so that it would die. Moses was born in this time, and yet he did not die. He stayed with his family for three months before they had to put him out. But he was rescued by the Pharaoh's daughter. And she raised him, and he learned everything there was to learn. And God blessed him, made him powerful in speech and in action. But when he went to go and help his fellow Israelites, after he was 40 years old, he went to go and help them to see God was moving, put it on his heart to go and see them. He went to go and help them, and ultimately they said, Who made you Lord and ruler over us? Are you going to, to kill us like you did the Egyptian man the other day? And so they rejected him, and Moses fled. But God had bigger plans for him. God continued to work in him and sent him back. Sent him back to his people. And he led the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of oppression. God heard their moaning and their prayers and their sorrow, and he led them out of slavery. And yet when they got into the desert, again, the rejections be happened or they started up again. And Stephen reminds us that Moses had these, these living words, the, the law that he'd received from God. He brought it to the people. And they refused him. They rejected it. And it says that they turned their hearts toward Egypt. And they asked Aaron to build a, a, an idol for them, a false god. They keep rejecting the people that God has sent. That God sends them one Savior after another and they keep rejecting Him. But the story continues on. Stephen reminds them, how many prophets have we had that were not persecuted or killed by our fathers? 
He said they, they even killed the one who prophesied that there would be a righteous one who would come. And now you, religious council, you have betrayed and murdered the righteous one who has come, Jesus Christ. This Jesus of Nazareth who lived and taught us, who died on the cross and then rose again and is ascended at God's right hand. This is the one who you denied again, who you murdered. You have this history. See, the thing is, is that as people, we all struggle with this. We struggle with God being Lord over us. Don't get me wrong, we're grateful for grace. Who here isn't grateful for grace? We're grateful for God's love. And when things are going hard, when things are going badly in our lives, when we are sick, or when someone we care about is ill or, or in hospital, we come to God and we pray for God for His help and for His mercy. But when it comes to our lives, what we do, what we do with our time, what we do with our resources, that's kind of our stuff, God. We don't want you in that. We refuse. We struggle to let God be Lord over our lives. We're happy to have him help us and to bless us. We're, we're pleased with grace. But when it comes to being Lord over our lives and directing what we do, how we live, that's harder for us. See, as people, we continue to, to miss the people that God sends us. God sends people into our lives, faithful friends, sometimes even people that we, we have only just met, and they challenge us. They challenge us to live more faithfully. They challenge us in some of the ways that, that we refuse to follow God. And yet, do we, do we listen to their challenge? Are we watching for these people? Listening, God, are you, is this the person that you're sending to speak to me? Or do we just reject them? We just tell them to, to save their breath and save it for somebody else and continue living our own way, refusing to change. Do we struggle with this? See, Stephen's getting, he's making the point here that the people of Israel, they have a history of this. That God sends them one Savior after another, one person after another to help them to lead them into faithfulness, and they reject it. But the trouble is, that it doesn't stop there. They reject these people that God sends, but also, it leads to rejection of God. And Stephen reminds them of their ugly past. That Moses, even after he led them out of slavery, and they were in the desert, and Moses was up on Sinai, that the people were wondering about him. He was gone for too long. And the people come to Aaron and they say, this Moses, this Moses who led us out of Egypt, this Moses who did this amazing thing, we don't even know what happened to him. It's been a few days now and we don't know where he's at. Aaron, why don't you make for us some gods that we can put our hands around? We've lost patience with it. Make an idol for us. Make a god for us. Something that will go before us. Something we can feel good about and we can put our arms around. And so he calls for all of their gold from the earrings, from, their, from the wives and their daughters and their sons. And they fashion this gold calf, this knockoff idol that they've probably seen or even seen people worship in Egypt. So they build their own God with their own hands. They fashion God and the image they think God should be. And he looks like a cow. So they make this God. And it's an interesting thing here. Aaron has the audacity to point to this golden cow that they've just made 
and say, these are the gods who led you out of Egypt. Taking the credit that belongs to God, this living God who saved his people, who was listening to them, Aaron has the audacity to give credit to a, to a golden piece of metal that looks like a cow. And the people, they love it. They absolutely love it. And, and Stephen reminds them, they had this huge party. They had this golden cow and they threw a party. And not just any party, but I mean like full-on raging party. Filled with everything that you can imagine. They were delighted at what their hands had made. See, it's one thing to reject the people that God sends. It's a totally different thing to, to reject the God who sent them. I mean, think about that. They chose this golden cow, this piece of metal that they'd fashioned into the shape of a cow. They chose this over the living God. The living God who brought them out of slavery. The, the living God who has been watching over their people for centuries, for generations. Who had this plan to save them and to redeem them. To make all things new and good. They rejected that God for a piece of metal that looked like a cow. And here's the ironic thing, is that this is the God that they made with their hands. Refusing the God who made them in His image. The God who created everything out of nothing. They rejected that God for a God that they had hammered together. It's amazing to me. But at the same time, I understand it too. Because this God, this, this God that looked like a cow, this God wouldn't challenge them. They made it. They could tell it what to say. They could tell it what to value. So this God wouldn't challenge them when their priorities got out of whack. This God wouldn't challenge them when they were, when they were doing things, when they were uh, being um, facetious or when they were trying to steal or when they were trying to mistreat people or betray people. This God wouldn't say anything about that. This God was easy to follow. This God said, yeah, absolutely. Life is all about you. It's all about you getting more and more stuff, living more and more comfortable. That's what life is about. They would, this God would never challenge them in that. Not like the living God does. So Stephen comes to them, and no wonder he calls them, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts are uncircumcised. Your ears, you can't hear what God's saying to you. You resist the Holy Spirit all the time. Set down your idols and return to God. Set down the things that you've chosen over God and return to Him. Stop trying to figure out your own way and begin following God. See, Stephen making this point that it's one thing to reject the people that God sends. It's another thing to reject the God who sent them. Because here's the trouble. When we reject the saviors that God has sent, the people that God sends to us, when we reject God himself, there's this big gap. There's this big vacuum for lordship of our lives. And you know what we do? We put ourselves in that place. We exalt ourselves over everything. Stephen began talking about this with them. He makes this point about the temple. I don't know if you caught in there as we were reading, but he was talking about the temple and how the temple was, that God, he filled this, uh, this tent or this tabernacle with his presence. 
That was his presence with his people. And every time that they would move, they'd gather up this tabernacle and they would move it. This is where God was and he was happy to be there with them. It wasn't until David, this great King David, after God had blessed him and he became king and and all of his enemies were defeated and he saw himself, he realized that he was living in this fancy home and God was still living in a tent. And he said, God, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to build a temple for you. I'd like to build a home for you. Do you know what God said? God said, who are you to build a house for me? I created everything. Who are you to build a house for me? He said, I've been with people, I've been with these people since, they've, since I brought them out of Egypt. I've been happy to live in this tent or to, to fill this tent with my presence. God doesn't live in, in just a tent either. I've been happy to fill this tent with my presence. Never once have I asked for you to build this temple. But still God let them. I think David was genuine. I think David genuinely wanted to, to show his appreciation to God because for what God had done for him. But God said, not you, David, but your son. And Solomon built the temple. And man, did he build a temple. He built this huge temple. Ornate, elaborate, gold everywhere. And it wasn't too long before the temple, this act of devotion to God, I think the people of Israel got it out of place. And they began to worship the temple and worship themselves for having built it. This temple became the most important thing. They began to think that this temple was the house of God. And it's it's true. I believe that God's presence filled the temple. Even to the day of Jesus, God was filling this temple. But the trouble is that people began to think that this temple is the only place where God is. They began to lose track of it. That's why Stephen had to remind them that that God called Abram out of the land of Ur, which is modern-day Iraq, a long ways from Israel. Or that God was working in Joseph, not in the temple in Israel, but actually in Egypt. And the same for Moses. That God is at work in places far beyond the walls of the temple. The temple is important and God's presence is there. But it's also in so many places beyond that. So we need to keep putting, or sorry, that the people of Israel need to keep putting the temple in the right place. That God is still God. And the temple is important, but not the most important. So it's right that Stephen, he brings this indictment against them. They bring Stephen before them because they want to question him. But Stephen's the one who turns the tables and he begins questioning them. He says, look at you guys. You, you parade around this temple, self-important, preening yourselves in your robes, belittling people. You're missing what God is doing. You've done all these things, and yet God, His throne is in the heavens. The earth, the whole earth is His footstool. Who are we to build a place where He'd rest? He's made everything with His hands. He is telling these, these religious leaders, that they've got so wrapped up in the religion and the cold part of it and the temple that they have missed the Savior again. They have missed the Savior that God has sent in Jesus Christ. God the Father sent God the Son who dwelt among us and lived and died and rose again to give us new life and they've missed it. 
because they were so angry that he was maybe insulting the temple or because he was threatening their power. They've gotten it wrong and they've missed this God. They've missed this Savior that God has sent. See, we have to be careful too, even today. Because I believe too that the people of Israel, it began in a desire to worship God. It began as a desire to glorify God. And it got out of hand. And pretty soon it was about glorifying this this, uh, monument to God. And then it all became about the monument. And then their identity began, began to wrap up in this monument. Where as much as people revered this temple, they revered the people of Israel. Or the leaders who thought they owned it. And things went off the tracks. Because you know what God desires? More than temples and monuments, God desires faithfulness. As you read through the scriptures, especially the words of the prophets, they remind us again and again that God, when he speaks to them, he says, sacrifice is important. But more than a thousand rams, I'd rather you care for people. I'd rather you take care of the widows and the orphans, that you provide for the homeless and the sick. This is what God desires. It's true that he loves it when we gather here each Sunday and we sing to him and we praise him for what he's done. I believe God delights in this. But when we really want to show God our gratitude, that we go out and we serve people. We go out and we bless people. We take care of the weak. We take care of the lost. This is what he desires, even above fancy monuments. See, when we get it wrong, when we reject God's servants, or when we end up rejecting God, we exalt ourselves to the highest place. And eventually God will do something. Tracy talked about it with the kids, that God corrected his people. He disciplined his people. But in this surprising way, a way that we maybe don't understand, or it's hard to understand, See, Stephen makes this interesting play on words. He said, When Moses gave you these living words, the people of Israel turned their hearts toward Egypt, and God turned away from them. This play on words of turning, the people turned towards idols, and God turned away. And he let them, he he handed them over to the worship of heavenly bodies, or sun and moon and stars and seasons and celestial figures. God handed them over to it. That is a potent but surprising correction. Think about the idols that we struggle with in our own lives. The things that we wrestle with. The things that we follow even above God. And as part of our correction, God steps out of the way and says, Go ahead. Make those the most important in your life and see how that turns out. These words are scary to me. As I was working through this passage this week and reading it, these words are scary. I think about my my idols in my own life. And it's scary for me to think about God saying, these are so important to you, go ahead, devote your life to them. See how that goes. See, the thing is, these are important corrections for us. When we follow these idols, hopefully we don't follow them long before God reveals to us or before we realize that these aren't the point of life. 
than when we follow idols down and down and down and we are left alone with no one there, humbled, then we're ready to turn back to God. It can be powerful medicine for us. See, I hear God speaking to us as a church this morning. I hear God challenging us. It's no doubt. Don't get me wrong. I think Stephen is challenging these religious leaders. He's saying, you've missed the Savior that God has sent. You've missed Him again. And I believe that Luke was telling this story in Acts. like He includes it in Acts to help us understand this bad blood between Judaism and Christianity. To help us to understand, as probably as Theophilus, the, the author that Luke, or the, the audience that Luke was writing for, maybe Theophilus had questions, isn't Christianity just a sect of Judaism? Why can't you guys just get along? He's trying to explain to them that the church is God's design. It's not some shoot-off group. It's not some sect. But this is God's direction, is through the church. That the people of Israel, they've missed it again. But I also hear God speaking to us. I hear God speaking to us in this text. As we overhear Stephen and his words, we overhear him chastising the religious leaders. And I hear warning for us that we're careful, that we watch for the people that God is sending. We watch for the people that God is sending into our lives, especially the people who challenge us. And I don't mean challenge us and just like, like to argue with us, but I mean people that we have that sense that, you know, I don't like what they have to, what they have to say, but there's something about it that seems like maybe this is God speaking to me. We need to keep watching for these people. That when they come, we don't belittle them or rebuke them or try and just ignore them and go on about our lives, that we remain open to changing, open to becoming more faithful and more Christ-like. But I also hear God challenging us with our idols. The things that we fashion in our lives with our own hands. And then try to put them above God. I hear God challenging us. Asking us to examine ourselves. Are there things that I'm still putting above God? Is there a job I'm still putting above God? Is there a relationship I'm still putting above God? Or hobbies? Is there still stuff that I'm putting above God? Are there things that, that are putting distance, that are putting space, separating from me from the living God? I hear God challenging us this morning to be watchful for the people he sends, to be, begin asking ourselves, are there things that have gotten out of control? Are there things that I've put above God in my life?